my favorite show is Parks and Rec, hands down. Uh, I, I can't totally endorse it because there are some weird parts, but uh, I love it. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with the show, it's about uh, this city parks department in a really small town, and uh, the lady in charge of it is named Leslie Nope, and she's just like 100% a go-getter. If you know the show, you know she's crazy uh, in a good way. Uh, and she's surrounded by this cast of people who are also crazy in their own right in different ways. Uh, there's an episode where she's in a trial, because uh, somebody's accusing her of something, and there's a break in the trial. Uh, and during the break, she gathers up the rest of the cast and all her friends because she's, like, ready to fight back, and she needs, uh, she needs support from them, and she needs different things from them. And so she's going person to person and saying, like, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this. And she gets to Andy Dwyer, which, if you're familiar with the show, you know he's just the dumb character. Like, he just gets everything wrong just enough to where you're like, oh, man, you're the dumb character. <laughs> um, she gets to him, and she says, Andy, he looks at her. And she goes, I need some evidence. And he goes, I got it. And he just starts walking away. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't even tell you where it is. <laughs> uh, and he comes back. He's like, you're right, you're right. And she says, it's in my office. It's in the file cabinet to the right of my desk. And she's explaining where it is. And his eyes just like slowly drift away. And she loses him. And she's just like, you know what? Somebody else go with him. Go get the evidence. I love that show. I love that scene. It's just such a small little scene. But the reason I tell you that is because that's the scene that came to mind whenever I read the text that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, because Andy Dwyer is so bought in, so much so that he would go when he doesn't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, he's so bought in, but he just barely misses it. And I felt like whenever I read this for the first time, I'm like, yes, I'm so for like the mission of God. I'm so for the plan of God. I'm so for this, like what this says. And then I'm like, at the end of it, I'm just like, I don't actually think I got any of what it said. I think I just missed it. And I'm telling you guys this right now, it's just like a, a warning. Like, there's a lot, and there's a lot of good, and it's really, really easy to just be like, you know what, I'm on it, let's do it, and never actually hear anything, and never actually get anything. Uh, you guys are in the middle of a series on Colossians, uh, and in the chapter that we're talking about, chapter 3, the kind of the thesis of the chapter, he says these two big ideas at the beginning of the chapter. He says two things, that you have died. And you have been raised with Christ. And the rest of the chapter, he's kind of saying like, okay, therefore, because you have died and because you have been raised with Christ, this is what you need to do. This is the way to live life. Like this is the way to live consistently with the fact that you've been raised with Christ. And last week, what Tyler talked about for you guys was you've died. You've been raised with Christ. Therefore, these are the things you need to put to death. And he talked about all those things last week. The next part of the chapter, what we're talking about tonight, is another therefore. And it's really important because the Christian life isn't just a whole list of like, hey, don't do this, don't do this, avoid this, don't do this, don't do this, and go on, and you're a believer. That's not the Christian life. God is an abundant God. He gives abundantly. Psalm says that uh, God lends generously and that his children eventually become a blessing. And I think there's no way for us to become a blessing the way that the Bible tells us uh, without not only putting things to death, but also putting things on and bringing things to life, the things that God actually wants us to step into. That's what the text is about tonight. So uh, I'll read it. If you have your Bible, it's Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. If you've got your Bible, you can read along with me or not. If not, Tyler says there's a Bible in the sky. <laughs> that's not really the sky yet. How high does it have to be? Higher than you. That's higher than me. Okay, that's good. I'm just trying to trail so you guys have time to get to it. <laughs> so Psalms, uh, not Psalms, ooh, oof. <laughs> Colossians 3, oh man. <laughs> Colossians 3, tw verse 12 through 17, it says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man. So I just want to talk about two things. I just want to talk about the beginning, and I want to talk about the end. When I talk about the beginning, I'm literally talking about the very first word, put. He says put on at the very beginning. And what I want to tell you is uh, there's a grammar thing uh, where if you start a sentence with a verb, at least in our language, when you start a sentence with a verb, it's known as an imperative. And an imperative is something that is super important for you to do. These are sentences that start with verbs like this, put on. Uh, But it also sounds like other things that you know, these are important. I think I should be doing these things. The person who's telling me this wants me to do something because of what he's saying, because they put a verb at the beginning of their sentence. It sounds like this, go to your room. Help me. Yeah, do this. Like and subscribe. Smash the like, <laughs> smash the like button. Please. They're like telling you to do something, right? Stop. Collaborate and listen. Like these are important things that I'm trying to communicate to you for you to do. They're known as an imperative. Uh, and most of the time when somebody tells you that, they're expecting you to respond by doing that thing. And so the faithful translation that we have puts a verb at the beginning of this. And it would be like, Just hearing this and being like, just hearing it and then going home and being like, yeah, that was good. That'd be crazy because it'd be like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, put clothes on. You don't have clothes on. Put clothes on. And you're like, yeah, that's good. Thank you. That's a good word. Thank you. And they're like, no, you're not, you're not wearing clothes. Put clothes on. And you're like, no, that, yeah, clothes are good. That's, thank you. That's good. And then you just never put clothes on. That would be crazy, right? So what I'm just trying to say at the beginning of this is that Paul is serious. He's saying to put something on, and our response shouldn't be like, yeah, sure, that's a good word, thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's a theologian from a long time ago, and he uh, had this idea. um, He thinks we kind of play with the commands of God. He says we play with the commands of God by doing something like this. Like, imagine a father and a son, and the father tells the son, hey, go to bed. And the son kind of wonders about it, and he's like, you know what? My dad's telling me to go to bed, and normally people go to bed because they're tired. So my dad doesn't want me to be tired. And you know, I'm also not tired whenever I play. So what my dad is really telling me to do is to go play. And Bonhoeffer says, like, this is the way we play with the commands of God. He's telling us something really clear, and we're like, what does he really want? You know what he really wants? The opposite of what he said. So I just want to agree beforehand. Paul is serious. He started this thing with the verb. Like, there's something for us to do on the other end of this. If we walk away and just say, like, that sounded good, then I didn't do my job. Uh, Paul is trying to communicate something for us to, like, walk in. That's the beginning. The end, uh, I want to start from the end and work my way back to the beginning. Because when something is really complicated, sometimes it's easier to start at the end and work back. Like a little maze on one of those restaurant, like, coloring pages. Like, if you want to look really impressive, just start at the end of that little maze and then go back to the beginning. And everybody's like, whoa, how'd you figure that out so quick? Um, Just lie about it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I want to start at the very end, because the very end kind of like builds this world that Jesus is aiming at. Um, And it's verse 17 that we already read. I'll read it again. It says this, 
Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus is telling us about this world that he's designed. There's a world that's coming uh, where every word that everyone says and every deed that everyone does is done in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful world. If everything everybody does and everything everybody says is done in the name of Jesus, then that means that the kingdom of God has fully come. It's a beautiful world because everything's done with the, the same love that Jesus has for us, that everybody's interacting with each other that way. The same love that Jesus has for us, everybody's doing things to each other in that way. And that would be a crazy world. We know we don't already live in that world, but we know from the way that Jesus teaches us to pray that that world is coming, that the kingdom of God is on the way, that it's active. And so Jesus is describing this end result world where every single word and every single deed that is done is done in his name. But we're in this place now where we can honestly say not every word is done in his name. Not every deed is done in his name. And so what he's inviting us into is the on the way to that world. We know that's the end result. And so we need to start thinking like, what is Paul telling us about how to get there? How do we get to a world where everything we do is in Jesus, everything we say is in Jesus? And I think the answer is what he says before. It's that we need to know who Jesus is and we need to be formed to look like Jesus. And so the verse right before the last verse says this, it's verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, what's true about this is that it feels like, there are a lot of times where it feels like the world is just totally falling apart around you, that all of your relationships are falling apart, your family's falling apart, the stuff around you is falling apart. Uh, and it's hard to imagine a world where it's this beautiful world that Jesus describes where like everything is all works together and everybody treats each other really great and everybody talks to each other really great. Um, the reality is uh, that the world is not like that all the time and it doesn't seem like that all the time. And so what Jesus is inviting us into now uh, is... This world where he's the one who's holding everything together. Paul, uh, earlier in this same letter, describes Jesus as holding the, all things together with his word. Jesus is holding all things together with his word. And he's saying, hey, that word, that powerful word that Jesus is holding all things together with, he's saying, let that word dwell richly in you. He's saying, let people teach you about what that guy is like. That guy who's holding the world together, let people teach you about what that guy's like. Sing about that. Sing about Jesus. Like, sing him, sing spiritual songs. Let, let people teach you. Let people talk to you about who that is. Uh, so you can get to know who he is. So you can be like him and be formed like him. And then, when you walk into those situations where it feels like the world is falling apart around you, where it feels like, uh, I can't walk, I can't step back into my family. It feels like my family's falling apart. I can't step back into school. It feels like school's falling apart. I can't step back into a relationship with my friends because it feels like my friends are falling apart and that we're falling apart away from each other. Paul is calling you to have the word, the word of the guy who's holding the universe all together dwelling in you so that when you step into a world that feels like it's falling apart, you can be like the guy who's actually holding the world together. He's telling you, learn about that guy, read about that guy, sing about that guy, let people teach you about that guy, and eventually you'll look like him, 
and where the world's falling apart, you can step in and it'll feel like the world's not falling apart because the guy you're acting like is actually holding the world all together. When we talk about reading a lot of things and seeing a lot of things and listening to sermons, being taught, that's like fertile ground for legalism to grow. That's a fertile place for it to say, for if you've heard of people talking about legalism, just saying like, uh, I'm going to do all this stuff so that I'm okay. I'm going to read the Bible. Uh, because I read the Bible this much, I'm okay. Because I sing this many songs, I'm okay. Like I do everything right. Uh, because I pray this many times, it's like I'm okay with the Lord. And that's not true. That's not how relationships work. Uh, Because this is a fertile place for legalism to grow, Paul, before this verse, because we're working backwards, before this verse, talks about how uh, when you trace back the words and deeds that you do and say, when you trace back the desires that you have to learn and sing and read and pray, you're not going to find yourself as an authority over you. You're going to find some other authority. And so the verse before this, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This way of life that God is calling us into, where every word and every deed is done in the name of Jesus, in that beautiful world, whenever we take one of those words, or we take one of those deeds, and we trace it back to its origin, we're not going to get back to just somebody who's really strong and smart and powerful. We're not going to get back to just any random person who just did all the right things all the time. We're going to get back to people, and we're going to get back to their hearts, and we're going to see that that they gave up the throne of their heart to Jesus, and that the source of those good words and good deeds is actually Jesus ruling and reigning in them, not just from heaven, but also from their heart. Paul talks about the the idea that there's a throne in your heart. There's a word uh, called abdicate. it, like people mostly use it uh, in a historical way. Uh, they talk about when kingdoms rise and fall, uh, kings will abdicate. And all that means is that they give up their throne. The word abdicate just means renounce your throne. And so whenever a kingdom falls, the king abdicates. What Paul is calling us into, saying, uh, hey, there's a throne in your heart. There's a seat of power in your heart that actually affects your words. Even Jesus says that what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. There's a throne in your heart that affects your words and your actions. And Paul is calling us to abdicate. Paul is calling us to give up that throne, renounce that throne, and invite in the only true king, Jesus. The problem is the way the world is now is that there are dozens and dozens of greedy kings, including you, who want to sit there and who want to call the shots over your life. But what's true of you is that you are not your own. What's true of you is that Jesus bought you and the rightful owner of the throne in your heart is not you, but it's Jesus. It sounds kind of crazy, but at the same time, that's a huge breath of fresh air because I don't know enough to live my life well. I don't know enough to like live in a way that all of my words and all of my deeds are good. I just don't know how that is. My life would be completely different if I were just sitting on the throne of my heart, calling all the shots over my life. It would look way more selfish. It would look way more bitter. It would look way more mean and defensive just if it was just me at the seat of my, like, my, in the the throne of my heart. If I'm just sitting there in power, I'm calling the shots, and it's going to be way worse than every word and every deed done in the name of Jesus Christ. The problem with this is that giving up 
authority over our lives and giving up the rule of our lives and calling the shots over our lives is not just a one-time thing that we get to give it up one time and then it's done and we never have to worry about that ever again. We never have to struggle with that ever again. The problem is, is that that's daily. All those dozens of greedy kings like fear and anxiety and rage and lust and you, all the greedy kings that want to sit on the throne of your heart, they want to every moment of every day. And repentance that Jesus outlines in the Bible, giving up the throne of your heart that Jesus outlines in the Bible, isn't just a one and done. I'm, you know, I, I just thought once about how I, like, I need to submit to Jesus and I'm good for the rest of my life. It's daily. Repentance, as outlined in the Bible, is daily. It's a struggle. It's constantly coming back to Jesus. And the good news about our passage is that before this, Paul isn't saying, like, you just need to try really hard to give up the throne of your heart over and over and over again. What Paul calls us into just before this is a radical commitment to these ideas, a radical commitment to God. Uh, in verse 14, what he says is this. And above all these, and we're about to talk about all these. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, you guys have talked about this before. I know you guys have talked about this before, that love, the way that it is in the Bible, the way that it actually is, where God is love, is not just a feeling that you feel. Paul isn't saying like, hey, just feel really good about these things. Like feel really infatuated with these ideas and you'll be good. Love, the way that it's described in the Bible, is a radical commitment. We get the idea of love from God who is so perfectly committed to us that he'll never give up on us. And what he's saying is, uh, you are empowered with the love of God to walk in repentance daily for the rest of your life giving up the throne and rule of your life in such a way that it affects your hands and your heart and your mind in a way that every word and every deed you do is done in the name of Jesus Christ. And the source of all that power is the love of God radically committed to you to help you walk in repentance, give up authority and rule of your life in a way that makes this environment that's really... Uh, where the word of Christ can dwell richly in you and actually make it out of your mouth and out of your hands into the world, bringing the kingdom of God. He calls you to this radical commitment and he gives you the ability to be radically committed to him. And what's even better is that he's radically committed to you in love, that he's never going to give up on you in this whole process. Over and over again, we're reminded that it's not just up to us to like white knuckle it and be humble and kind and wise and patient. God is the one who's the actual source of all these things in our life. And so we're almost back to the beginning of the passage. So you might, I hope you would be thinking like, okay, this is all nice and good. I want to live in a world where everything is done in Jesus. Every word and every deed is done in Jesus. I want to live in that world. It's nice. I, I want the word of Christ to dwell in me richly. I, I want to give up the throne of my heart sometimes uh, so that Jesus can rule over me and then bring about his kingdom. But what do you actually do? Like, what are we actually supposed to do? Give me some steps. That's a good question that I came up with for you. Uh, <laughs> um, and so what Paul, he, this is how Paul starts. The very first verse of the passage we're talking about is verse 12 and 13. He says this, Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, 
forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. I'm saying God is building this beautiful world where everything's done in him and it's going to be great and lovely and like awesome. But you can imagine just next week alone or just tomorrow alone, you're going to be blindsided by a hundred things and it doesn't feel like this beautiful world. You don't even know what's going to come up and something's going to come up. Somebody's going to say something to you that you don't want to hear. Somebody's going to do something to you. Somebody might have already done something to you a long time ago and you're going to process the feelings and emotions from that tomorrow and you don't even know it. And it doesn't feel like the beautiful world that Jesus is bringing about. And man, the guy who's writing this letter feels your pain. Paul like, has been snake bit, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. He should have died several times over and he didn't. Uh, this is a guy who knows that things don't go the way that you expect them to go. This is a guy who is so, like, so, so beautifully committed to Jesus and so, so, like, walking in the Spirit and full of love and compassion for the people that he wanted to know Jesus, and things didn't go the way that he expected them to go all the time. This is a guy who knows that. He knows you're going to wake up tomorrow and be blindsided by something that you don't expect. He knows that. And what he's saying is, I don't know. I don't know how to tell you how to operate in every experience you're going to have. I don't know how to exactly what to tell you to do every moment of your life and every situation in your life. I don't know what to do. But I at least know this. Because we know who Paul is and because we know what Paul went through and because we know what Paul wrote, we can at least say this confidently, that I have no idea what's going to happen to me tomorrow, but I can start with a compassionate heart. A hundred things could happen tomorrow that none of us expect. And we can start with humility, just a right view of ourselves. We can start with patience. We can, because this is up to us and it's not up to the other person, we can forgive one another regardless of what's happening to us. These are all things that are fruit of the Holy Spirit because Jesus died for us. And came back to life. And because we died with him, like it says at the beginning of this chapter, and we're raised with him, we're empowered to be able to be humble, to be able to be kind, to be able to have a compassionate heart, to be able to forgive. We're empowered to do those things. So what Paul's telling you is like, hey, the practical steps you're looking for, I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen to you. I don't know what is like what somebody's going to say to you or do to you. I don't know how you're going to mess up or how like you're going to you're going to screw things up. But what you can do is start with a compassionate heart. And the end result of these things, the end result of these virtues that Paul lays out, he's not just saying, like, you know what, be nice. Like, these are just Christian ways to do things. Just be humble and be kind and be patient. Like, this is just the Christian thing to do. You should be that way. Paul's not saying that. Jesus gave us these virtues because they're active, like, powerful tools to bring about his kingdom in our world. When we're talking about patience and humility and kindness, you know, if you, if you are selfish instead of patient, or selfish instead of meek, it's not a different way to accomplish the same goal. It's, those aren't, like, if you're mean instead of kind, that's not a different way to walk down the same path. If you're selfish or mean, that's a completely different path. And the reality is, pursuing those virtues that aren't from God, pursuing those virtues that you don't have to be relying on the Holy Spirit to have, those things actually give up the throne in your heart to something else 
They actually make an environment in you where it's a different word that dwells richly in you. And it actually brings about a word world where every word and every deed isn't done in the name of Jesus. It brings about an entirely different world. It brings about a world where every word and every deed is actually done in your own name. And so what Paul's telling us at the beginning of this is that these things, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, these are powerful tools that God has given to you to bring about his kingdom in the world. And his Holy Spirit is the one who's actually encouraging you to have those, to be like to live with those, to use those, uh, that they would actually be true about you. And it's possible that they would actually be true about you. So let me read this all together, like not backwards <laughs> one more time. It says this, you, so you've been, you've died, you died, and you've been raised with Christ. She says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you give your life over to Christ, you're God's chosen one. God picked you. When you give your life over to Christ, uh, you're holy. This is what this passage says. It says you're holy and you're unlike the world. And your unlikeness is actually a blessing to the world. And more than that, it says that you're beloved. Not just loved by other people or the people who are around you, which is really powerful love, but you're loved by God who made you and delights in you. He knows you. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. He's the one empowering you to do these things. Because God loves us and he chose us and he makes us like him, he says to walk in these things. And he's actually giving us a new way of life to walk in. Uh, and he, he describes that way for us. So uh, I'll pray, and then you guys can talk about it in small groups. Jesus.